taser, taser. <laughs> taser, taser. They have to take the sound like that nowadays. Wow, that must be a new safety yeah. precaution. <laughs> to make sure everybody knows there's a taser being deployed. Mm-hmm. Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, this is uh, Bumblebutt Podcast X. X, X, X. We're here. We're back after a yes, long... Sir. Long vacation. Old Uncle Adam had to get himself a new job. The unemployment well ran out, but goddamn, was it fun. Mm-hmm. So now, I finally got the druthers. I finally got a wild mm-hmm. hair up my crevice to uh, research <laughs> an episode. So today we're going to do that. We're going to talk about this fella. His name is Herbert Mullen. Herbert fucking Mullen, bro. Herbert Mullen. Somebody now, fucking... That's, that's another one of my names, too. Have you seen... Mindhunter. Yes. The first season, though. Ain't it sure. two seasons? Yeah. Just well, the first they, season. Ed Kemper plays prominently in that first season. Yeah, that was good. And he talks about Herbert Mullen in mm-hmm. that one. And he also, because they end up side by side in prison. Mm-hmm. Uh, one cell away from each other in the max security section. Deep within Herbert Mullen's twisted brain was a violent duality which would leave 13 people dead in a terrifying spree spanning October 72 to January 73. At the eventual trial, the prosecution would posit that Herb was just another tweaker murderer, but Herb's lawyers would counter that he was a deluded paranoid schizophrenic. Mm. Mullen himself would say that he was a hero who killed only consenting victims in order to save California from a cataclysmic earthquake. So he was killing people because he said earthquakes. That's right. He was worried that uh, the next quake that hit California would split it off and shoot it out into the ocean. All right. And his job, (laughs) he thought small unnatural sacrifices would save large natural disasters from happening. No, there's no logic. It's insane. The man's a lunatic. Yeah, so they locked him up. Go ahead, my bad, go. Let's let's find out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. If you want to skip the next hour, I guess we can do. (laughs) Dragon Ball Z. (laughs) Dragon Ball Z Kai. Herb would keep building on his delusions, convinced that his father, World War II veteran Martin Mullen, had telepathically commanded his son, saying... Why won't you give me anything? Go kill somebody. Move. Since this takes place in the early 70s, when looking for who to blame for Herbert's murders, everyone was dragged out in front of the press, Mm. including future president, but then governor, Ronald Reagan. Mm. Reagan's administration had stripped funding for mental health hospitals, forcing most to shutter their doors in California. And as we dig deeper about Ronald Reagan... He could have cured AIDS. Well, there is... He had to make a choice between curing AIDS and curing Legionnaire's disease. Exactly. You don't know what what Legionnaire's is. No, you don't know. And I don't know. (laughs) And we shouldn't know because Ronald Reagan cured it before we were born. Because it was killing a trillion people. It was just as bad as AIDS. Mm -hmm. I mean, they do say it was killing white people. If you lie, okay. And straight people. So you can't have that. Herbert was considered especially considerate and polite by Bible study classmates and co-workers at Goodwill alike. In high school, he was voted most likely to succeed. Mm -hmm. He did succeed at something, but it's probably not the way they were thinking. His community would flock to the trial, desperate for answers as to how they could have misjudged someone so hard. But as Mullen sat in the box, clearly raving mad, spouting off non-sequiturs at random, they would only leave with even more questions. Could the jury convict this man after seeing his behavior? Many serial killers had tried the old insanity defense in the past, but very rarely had such a compelling case of it been on display. Mm, he was definitely definitely insane, though. This, but, this dude was raving. Yeah. He was saying the most random things for no reason. Uh, uh, we'll get into some of them. One thing that he said that was uh, especially disturbing was... Part of the reason this happened was because his father didn't give him the blowjob at six years old that all children are required to receive from their fathers. This dude, I wonder did his dad really do that? What, suck his dick? No. His dad never molested yeah. him or anything he like that. He was a World War II veteran. We're going to talk about the the war hero, the Martin two? Mullen. Uh, yeah. It is too bad that his name's Herb, and I call yeah, you Herb Yeah, that's all what I'm saying, time, dude. Yeah. That's another one of my names. Oh. 
and Mullen, it. Mullins. It's like you and Brandon he had, mixed a, together. had a baby. He had a name, baby. You guys got the same amount of kids. <sighs> I know he over there. Herbert Mullen was born April 18th, 1947, making him the definition of a baby boomer. Because mm-hmm. when all the soldiers got home from war, mm-hmm. they fucked and had a population blow. Yep, you had to. This date would prove crucial in Herbert's growing and tangling mind. April 18th is the anniversary of the 1906 San Francisco earthquake and also the anniversary of Albert Einstein's death, which to Herb only furthered his cosmic obligation Mm -hmm. to kill to protect from another earthquake. Einstein. Yeah, because the last earthquake and the most respected scientist, both on April 18th, it's like... You gotta "Mm, kill. I gotta stop this next San Fran earthquake. I gotta get blown. I got... (laughs) My dad's gotta blow me. All six-year-olds must be blown by their father. It's the rules. Oh, 13? You ain't a man. No. He would talk about his sexual growth being stunted, and it was his dad's fault and also his uncle Enos and his aunt Mm -hmm. whatever's fault. He said that his aunt and uncle were giving his father instructions not to suck his dick, Mm. even though he had sucked his daughter's dick and also his and also herb thought this <laughs> his niece and nephew's also, dick so you wait so he thought he was the only one in the family uh-huh. out of all the cousins and his sister and his uh you know that wasn't getting the, the required the education blowjob yeah what a fucking idiot what a lunatic so is this a first of uh um, um, somebody having a father as a serial killer or Huh. No, it's not. But I That's like a respectable that. guy though. Yeah. I see what you're saying, yeah. like a, a a regular family. Yeah, like dude, this and he's a respect well, we don't know how his dad is. Yeah. But World War Two veteran, come on, gotta be some kind of He's he's what they describe him as tough but fair. Like strict, but he won't haul off and wail on you. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Five-year-old Herbert was bright and imaginative with a shy and gentle nature. The family moved at about this age from a small farm to the big old city of San Francisco, where Martin Mullen worked as a furniture salesman. Herbert and his older sister were enrolled in school and proceeded to thrive there. From all accounts, the Mullins were a bright young family whose stock was on the rise. Mm. Mr. Mullen had been a war hero in World War II, and was considered stern, but would never haul off and beat his wife or children. That's good. Martin was proud to have served his country, and frequently told his son war stories, and even taught him how to use a rifle. Mr. Mullen would playfully teach his son boxing while commentating like the guys on the radio. Later, Herb would internalize these memories as telepathic challenges from his sadistic father. Herb's interpretation of his childhood was that it was destroyed by a conspiracy led by his parents. They were, in his addled mind, reincarnationalists who believed that causing pain to others was the only way to improve their birth position in the next life. Hmm. Herb would later testify, saying his father would threaten anyone who tried to befriend Herb as a kid, even going door-to-door around the neighborhood asking the neighbors to please ignore his son as if he didn't even exist. Keep in mind this was all happening internally for Herbert. Outwardly, everyone thought he was happy and thriving. Mm -hmm. Halfway through his high school run, the family left the hustle and bustle of San Fran for Felton, a town amongst the Redwoods in Santa Cruz County. Young Mullen made many friends right off the bat. He even had a real good-looking, steady girlfriend and was starting on the varsity football team. Yeah, that's pretty good. But I do got another quick quick question. Sure, before we go on. Yeah. So, just to go back, he said... His parents are reincarnation. Reincarnationalists. Yeah, say that Something part. he made up. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, read over that. Don't read, but what would you say they would... So pretty much, if they, they fulfilled their next life by hating on somebody in this life. If they stripped the joy and yeah. comfort from others in yeah, this, this life, life, their birth position in the next, next would be, be m- much improved. So pretty much they, they just keep hating on motherfuckers. Mm-hmm. That's what Herb thinks. So Herbert keep hating on motherfuckers. Herbert has, has paranoid schizophrenia. It's a problem. All right. Hate, 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 hate. Haters gonna hate, hate, For real, because that's what that is. You go, you walking around all life just to hate on something. That's it. Because you think you're You're gonna, not going to get that job. 
it's kind of like the opposite of Christianity, right? Where you're supposed to approach everything with love, with unlimited yeah. love. <laughs> yeah, with positivity. And that'll improve yeah. your position in heaven. Yeah. So it's like he just flipped <laughs> it on its ass. Yeah. He's like, be a petty dickhead to everyone. Right. Upon graduation in 1965, Herbert attended Cabrillo College, where he studied engineering and contemplated joining the army. And that's San Francisco? Cabrillo College. Uh, maybe it's Cabrillo College. Um, it's in Santa Cruz. Also, okay. Same. It's like in the county, yeah. Mm. Not the county where no, San Fran, but like it's like, you know, yeah. it's not in the hustle bustle city. Yeah. Right when things were in place for a bright and productive future... Of course, paranoid schizophrenia had to rear its ugly head and start fucking shit up. Mm -hmm. The incident that ultimately popped the cork on Herb was the tragic passing of his best friend and confidant, Dean Richardson, who was killed in a car crash the summer after graduation. Herb fell into himself and his darkness, remaining locked in his room for days and building shrines to Dean. <laughs> he began wondering if Dean's death was some sort of God's sacrifice, and he dove headlong into Eastern religions, despite being an altar boy as a child and still being a devout Catholic along with his parents. Yeah, he's something wrong with him. He thinks the whole world revolves around him. Main character syndrome. That's the problem. When people think things are happening to them instead of just happening. Bill Cosby got locked up. Oh, God damn it. Uh, it's just something about me. Yep, man. I did this. Yeah, you know what? And depression and anxiety—that also has a like a lot to do with that too. It, you gotta let go sometimes. You gotta realize that the world is just gonna do—it's gonna spin and do things. It has nothing to do with you. We're a petty little speck on this motherfucker. That's where the government come into play. But that's another. And they start fucking everybody. Yeah. And that's a between the bumbles kind of thing, right there. I could see that. <laughs> The reason he was doing this was he was looking for tough answers that, well, none of us really get in this mm -hmm. life about life and death. Herb changed his major from engineering to philosophy, but dropped out completely after a few weeks. Yeah. In the spring of 1966, Herb ran into a friend of Dean's at the beach named Jim Gianera. Jim hooked Herb up with a few lids of pot and started giving Herb a lowdown of the anti-war movement. Vietnam mm. was really kicking off at the time. Mm -hmm. Later, Herb would say the pot was tainted with substances intended to damage his brain and confuse him into being a conscientious objector to the war. Yeah, and we say pot, you talk about marijuana. Marijuana. So pretty much it was doing what it was supposed to do. Yeah, turned him into a dirty hippie, and he got mad about it. <laughs> <laughs> It got me. What'd he say? Say that part again. It uh, was tainted with substances intended to damage his brain and confuse him into being a conscious, conscientious objector to war. You're high, bro. Yeah, That's it's, not... saying, it's saying you don't want to go kill Viet Cong. You want to sit on a couch and yeah, smoke bro. weed. Yeah. What are we fighting for? <laughs> what, what are we fighting yeah. for? Dude, let's just smoke this fucking weed. Yeah, that's what everybody need to do, just sit around and smoke weed and talk. Yeah, get a microphone or two. Mullen kept dabbling in the electric lettuce and eventually moved up to acid and mushrooms. He began tripping quite frequently, which ended up pushing away his longtime girlfriend. Well, the tripping and the new increasing violence, the crazy glares and the relentless rants about the next earthquake being the last for California and how the couple needed to move to Canada for any chance of survival. When Herb told her in 1968 that he might actually be gay, that was the last straw and she finally called it quits. Mm -hmm. All of these rebellious acts were honestly typical of the times. Mm -hmm. Herb kept experimenting with drugs and certainly disappointed war hero Martin by declaring himself a conscientious objector to the mm -hmm. Vietnam War. He announced that he was going to become a yogi in India. He want to try everything, bro. My boy wants to be Dalsim. <sighs> you not, bro. Yoga flame. You didn't even want to, couldn't even be a Muslim for that long. Seriously. Or whatever Eastern religion. Yeah. I think it was more Chinese. Oh. Okay. Chinesey. Maybe Indian-y. Oh, okay. Hindu. That's okay, what it would yeah, probably okay. be. Buddhist. Uh, Buddhist. Finally, though, Mullen's behavior went from quirky and cute to absolutely terrifying. And deranged. One, one night <laughs> in 1969. While visiting his sister and brother-in-law, Herb started mimicking his brother-in-law's every word and movement. 
This went on for upwards of four hours. It was like he didn't have any control over it. He was just magnetized to his brother-in-law and was monkeying everything he was doing. Dude, <coughs> I would have stopped my whole convo. Like, dude, what are you doing, bro? Dude, what is, are you having a stroke? Yeah, because you're doing everything and I'm, you're still doing it while I'm talking to you. Do you smell burning toast right now? The next day, the family took Herb to a mental hospital yeah. where he consented to commit himself. But before we even knew it, Herb was back out on the mean streets again. He returned to his sister's house and asked if she would have sex with him. When she obviously refused, he asked his brother-in-law. He he didn't mind. Whichever one. But his brother-in-law also said no. (laughs) Safe to say the whole family was now concerned for both his safety and their own. Because of how normal and popular Herb was as a kid... The Mullins' first assumption was this activity was strictly drug-induced. Mm-hmm. This wasn't a far-fetched thought. It was the late 60s and the Haight-Ashbury movement was mm-hmm. full popping right down the fucking road. Mm-hmm. But really, Herb didn't do any more pot or acid than the next hippie. Mm-hmm. But the combination of hallucinogens and unchecked paranoid schizophrenia is a recipe for true and honest psychosis. Mm-hmm. After his release from the Mendocino State Hospital in 1969... Herb took a job washing dishes in South Lake Tahoe, but of course soon quit. He returned to Santa Cruz where he began a long, soul-searching journey to make sense of the voices in his head. In the forest, Mullen was sitting cross-legged in a meditative stance in the middle of the night when a park ranger walked up on him to tell him, Hey, it's way after close. You gotta fuck off. <sighs> Mullen made no response, just continued staring straight forward. That's when I pulled my gun out. When the ranger again. repeated his instructions... Herb reached for a long hunting knife laying by his side. The ranger speared and cuffed Herbert before he could close his fingers on the knife, mm. but he was released shortly after booking. How do you keep getting out? Because he's a white kid. He's a white little hippie boy. And they'd probably say, this is bullshit, man. And if they can release you to your, like, good family, mm. they're going to do that over, like, paperwork. Yeah, I guess they would. As long as his family come and speak up for him, they could probably War hero out. dad. Mom, that's... You know, a mom. At this point in late 69, early 70, Mullen was adrift and found himself bumming around San Luis Obispo. Mm -hmm. He had a very small apartment with a roommate, and it didn't take long for that roommate to realize he'd made a mistake by signing (laughs) that lease. Okay, that's funny. After meditating, Herb would always burn the tip of his penis with a lit cigarette. And soon, he was trying to seduce his male roommate, whose uncle just so happened to be a psychiatric doctor. Herbert was taken to the ward by his roommate and the uncle, and again, he consented to treatment. The facility had this to say, As a result of mental disorder, said person is a danger to the public himself, and as such, is gravely disabled. Mm -hmm. He was in for about a week and then checked himself right out. A few months later, Herb was dating an older woman, and even flew to Hawaii with her. I know that that dude had to get him out of out of the lease at that point, right? Somehow. Yeah, I legally. hope the uncle figured out how to do like, that. Like legally, yeah. is it like yeah? Woo! Like, hey, Uncle Doctor, do do we have any other uncles that are lawyers that can get me out of this contract? And honestly, after that, after me dealing, I'll be like, I'm just gonna try to stay on my own for the rest of my life. Yeah, it's safer. I'd rather pay the more money to be safe. Yeah, and I, I don't have to smell burning flesh, burning penis and tips. Yeah, pissing. Semen or whatever else on the tip of your dick that you can think of, Lent. It's pretty hot. (laughs) Within a week of flying to Hawaii with this older Mm -hmm. woman, Herb landed himself in a Hawaiian psychiatric hospital. (laughs) While there, Mullen went on hour-long rants preaching yoga and nonviolence, and even escaped the premises to go looking for a job, still wearing his hospital gown. So with his butt out and everything. Herb was released to the airport where his parents had paid for his return flight to Santa Cruz. He said he had to get out. You gotta leave the state, bruh. Herbert was completely disoriented and confused at the time. His mental illness kept consuming more and more of him. He changed his wardrobe and diet constantly, as if he needed to find an identity that made him feel at peace and Mm. fast. For example, one day he shaved his head. The next, he went on a macrobiotic diet and shrunk rapidly. Next, he wore a trench coat and sombrero and spoke with a Mexican accent. (laughs) Then he became a pretty decent amateur boxer. One time, an Asian woman denied his suggestion that the two of them have a biracial baby, 
So Herbert smashed a hatchet against the fireplace about a hundred times. He made a rapid swing from hippy-dippy counterculture to full-blown right-wing extremist. Mm. Inside, he knew there was something wrong with him. I mean, obviously, because he kept checking us up into the... He kept consenting to it, yeah. yeah. So you gotta know something up with you. Split personality. <laughs> yeah, he's James McAvoy. What a fucking psycho, bro. I didn't watch that James McAvoy movie. Was that good? I didn't see it neither. Split part of the Fro- Frozen franchise? Frozen Disney? No. Unbreakable. Oh, okay. I didn't see that. No, I didn't. Glass. Split. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. I never didn't see Split neither. I didn't see Glass or Split, no. I'm saying Glass. Some of that shit you just gotta be... You just, no, you know, bro. You know what I mean? Hey, M. Night Shyamalan... That dude tried to make himself a superhero franchise. And he started like 20 years ago. So that's pretty cool. But that doesn't mean the movies are good. I liked Unbreakable. I don't care. To me, the best thing M. Night Shyamalan did is Six Signs. All right. It gave the world... He did Six Sense? Yeah. I like Six Sense too. But I do like Signs. Signs is good. Even though water's the enemy. And they came to a planet that was all water. water. (laughs) I think they wanted the water too though, right? No, it was poison. Yeah, but that's right. Maybe I'm just thinking. Well, I guess just oil thinking. would be poison to us if we just, you know. Drink. Yeah. Because <laughs> they could still probably use it to fuel whatever. Yeah. Which is always what they say in the humans come. I mean, not humans. They, or are they? They say water is pretty, pretty miraculous, you know. It's like pretty crazy. It supports I, life. I guess if you think about it, because where does shit come from? Water. Yeah. God. Or the polar ice caps. Yeah. Which is water. Yep. Which is who made that shit. God. I mean, I know you're not a believer, but... Oh, sweet Jesus. But like you said about this dude... Like you said about this dude Herbert, though, he went to everything because he just didn't know. Looking for answers. Yeah, looking for answers. That's tough. Yeah. Especially if you don't have any patience like this kid. Because it's not like he's actually... He's looking for quick, satisfactory answers to questions that people have been... (laughs) thinking about since there were people since the first person was like why am i here i still feel like the highest of the high to study in that no idea yeah because it's all subjective it's all arbitrary we all experience this old marble differently either way (laughs) we're here (laughs) herbert meditated over his life obsessing constantly trying to make the puzzle pieces fit of where and why everything came rolling off the tracks for him and who had poisoned his mind He started by blaming his dad, whom he said was too sexually uptight, and would later accuse him of being a mass murderer who telepathically commanded others to kill. He hated blame on the drugs he took, and specifically the dealers who were poisoning the streets. The first part he probably had right. His dad was probably a mass murderer. Yeah, yeah. But you know what I'm saying. If he went to war... By the strictest definition, absolutely. Yeah. If he was a war hero, how do you get that title? You had to kill <laughs> by slaughtering dudes. And when you start killing, like uh, I forget, I don't know if it's specific or Band of Brothers, but when you start killing motherfuckers with your bare hands just to do it and shit, you gone. Bro. You're a savage. Yeah, yeah. you're there. <laughs> you're there. Yeah, you're there. We were already there, but it's confirmed now, bro. Like, it's like oh, shit. even within yourself, you got that in you. Wow. Yeah. It's fucked up, man. Herb tried several outpatient drug treatment centers and uh, also different behavioral therapists, but he never stuck with anything. He even went so far as to try Bible study, but was asked not to return as he made <laughs> everyone uncomfortable by declaring, Satan gets into people and makes them do things they don't want Damn, to. so he got kicked out of Bible study in Hawaii? This was back in Santa Cruz, yeah. Dude, yeah. those are the two nicest places you oh, can Oh, yes. And, and very them. accepting. Super, yeah. And they kicked you out like, dog. It's like uh, Aloha, or whatever they say, Akuna Matata. No, that's have, from Timon and Pumbaa. Go ahead and wrap your mouth around that revolver, bro. Just get it over with. Yeah, oh, I was watching Tombstone this morning. Speaking of revolvers. <laughs> <laughs> and at one point, he kills one of the cowboys in uh-huh. uh, an opium den. And mm-hmm. like somebody's trying to put an opium pipe in his mouth. Who was in Tombstone? Kurt Russell, Val Kilmer. And they had the red sashes? with that. Oh, yeah. okay. The Cowboys. I know yep. what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yep. And he thought he was about to smoke some opium, but it was Kurt Russell's big old gun. <laughs> Blew his fucking head off. At 23 years old, in May of 1971, mm. Herb, for the first time, moved away from the watchful eye of his parents in the small town of Felton and mm. back to the hustle and bustle of San Francisco. Right. This was a defining moment in Herb's psychosis. 
He lived in crack houses surrounded by all manner of addicts and alcoholics, continuing to evolve his loony belief system. Was he doing the crack and shit? Probably. Undetermined if he was doing crack. Because he's a beast if he wasn't doing the crack but still staying there. Because nobody's going to come look for you in a crack house. In a crack house? No. Nobody cares about those people. Yeah. So you could pretty much run undetected killing people too. Yeah. One day, Mullen walked into the YMCA Hmm. holding his Bible and soon became a rank amateur boxer. In his very first Golden Gloves bout, Hmm. he wouldn't stop punching even after the bell and had to be hauled away by trainers from both corners. What an idiot. After losing the tournament, Mullen walked out with plans to become a priest. Bro, that was your break. He began painting in his apartment and would have loud screaming matches with God late into the night followed by beating the floor for hours at a time to train his hand strength. Finally, the apartment manager had no other choice but to evict. Yes. I wonder how long it's taken to evict. I'm curious. Too long for whoever was living oh below, above, and to the sides of him. And in the same, like, block. Bro, we would have had to go team up and go have kill to. this dude. Have to. I'll tell you what, he wouldn't have been a problem if he lived above me. You would have killed him. I would have had to. Like, dude. I would have either I- killed him... Or the apartment manager, or both. Yeah, because some would have had to give. Someone's, something's got to happen. Let's like a War of the Worlds and shit. Tom mm-hmm. Cruise had to kill that motherfucker for making that. He was screaming. Yeah, bro. In September 1972, Mullen moved back in with his parents, mm-hmm. determined beyond convincing that he was going to make something out of himself despite his mental illness. Which, of course, you can, yeah, as long yeah. as you're properly medicated and seeking treatment. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, he wasn't. Unfortunately, he stopped taking his pills completely and began focusing his rage solely on his father. The cherry on the shit Sunday, there was a major earthquake predicted to slam the West Coast within the next few months. You know, he was, yes, I told you. Here's the thing. The scientist that predicted this was mostly discredited amongst his peers as he was self-taught and a real weirdo. You see, in the scientific community, they like peer review. They like when you're uh, when you have accreditation, not when you read some things out of a <laughs> Wikipedia. Motherfucker, right behind him, like hell, don't believe nothing that dude say. The public at large also thought he was a crackpot, but. I bet me and you know someone who believed this fella hook, line, and sinker. On a wet and dreary Friday the 13th in October of 1972, Herbert went out to the garage and grabbed a Louisville Slugger before climbing into his 58 Chevy station wagon for a drive that would hopefully, in his mind at least, save California. He said for the past week his father had been sending the same droning, driving message telepathically. If you don't kill... You will bring great shame to the family by showing cowardice. It's kill or leave my family. (laughs) As he drove along the peaceful winding road flanked by Redwoods, Mullen spotted a hitchhiker that was walking alone. After passing him, Herb pulled over, popped the hood, and pretended that he had engine trouble. Mm. The drifter, later ID'd as Lawrence White, acted as any good Samaritan might and offered to take a look at the engine. Well bent over, Mullen bashed the back of the 55-year-old's head in then kicked him down into the ditch and drove away. White was an easy target and a perfect first kill. Nobody mm-hmm. knew or cared that he was missing. He spent roughly half his time in the drunk tank and the other half sleeping in the forest or under bridges to avoid being hassled or disturbed by police. Mm-hmm. Days later, when his body was finally discovered, it was barely mentioned in the paper. No one came to the funeral Nobody and no it. investigators rushed out to find the killer. So they had to know somebody killed him, right? Yes. It's just, who fucking cares? Who cares? Damn, not even a murder? You just let motherfuckers just... Like, you know what I mean? More, bigger fish. You want to know what else was happening around this time? Ed Kemper was on the loose. He was cutting bitches' heads off. People that actually, quote-unquote, mattered to society. Little blonde girls that mm-hmm. were cute and that's went to true. college. No, that's true. But to no mention of it. And this was in a different part. This, was this Pretty still much, Santa Cruz? Yep, Santa Cruz County. Yep. Mm-hmm. They, they might have been the fucking serial killer capital of the world for a few and you years. You said A. Kemper was around too. You, yep, so, yeah, they was dumb around there. The police and shit. Yeah, they didn't have DNA. Yeah. And, uh, it's like that uh, John Mulaney bit. We found this bucket of the killer's blood at the science <laughs> crime scene. Gross. <laughs> That's not going to help us. Let's make a chalk outline of the body. <laughs> In court much later, Mullen claimed that White so resembled Jonah from the Bible. And if you know the story of Jonah, 
There were 13 men. One had to go. Jonah kicked right off the boat. But what happened then? Big whale swallowed him, spit him up, and he was saved. So he looked like him so goddamn much that telepathically, White was saying, Hey man, pick me up and throw me off the boat. Kill me so that others will be saved. That's what he said he was saying telepathically. That's asinine. Because if that's the case, I'll just, you just jump off the boat itself. Yeah. Well, they weren't on a boat, though. They were just on what, the side yeah. of the road. Yeah. What, yeah. Maybe fault. he didn't have the strength. I'm thinking about the, the dude, though. Yeah. My fault. I'm in a twine. Yeah. No, I like it. He, he They bring it up in court. The, the Jonah defense. Honestly, they try it. Herbert's next kill was his most gruesome of his entire string. Mm-hmm. A few years previous, Herbert's mother had noticed her son taking a growing interest in art and had given him Irving Stone's biography of Michelangelo titled The Agony and Ecstasy, hoping to foster his creativity. In that book, it describes Michelangelo dissecting bodies in order to understand the human physiology better and thus make his sculptures better. Mm-hmm. Mullen decided if he was to be taken seriously as an artist, he may as well follow in the master's footsteps. It worked pretty well for Michelangelo, after all. <laughs> he blamed his mother for this kill, saying she gave him the book as a hint on what he was to do. Mary Guilfoyle was running late for a job interview, so she ignored her gut instinct and the statistics of that time and decided to hitchhike. She deeply underestimated the crazy that was sitting behind the wheel of the 58 Chevy station wagon. This kid was handsome, kind-eyed, and soft-spoken, not the monster she'd heard about on the news. With Guilfoyle in the car and adjusting her seat for optimal comfort, Mullen pulled a hunting knife and stabbed her once in the heart through the chest, Mm. pushed her up against the dash, and stabbed her once through the heart from the back. Mm. That was unnecessary as she died from the first stab. Mm. Herbert dragged Mary's body into a deserted area off the hilly road, opened her up, and began to unravel her organs. Whatever great insights Michelangelo gleaned from his work with cadavers didn't work for Herbert. <laughs> this would be the only time he committed this atrocious act. Yeah. He, okay. He, he he said, well, I don't know what Michelangelo learned, but yeah. uh, I'm not learning it. And, and you know what, man? <clears throat> this dude, he's not raping. The bodies? Yeah. Unless there's more. No, he's okay. just, it's not about that for him. Okay. It's not sexually motivated. And it's like he's doing everything off a of new. It is like, sexually motivated, though. Like oh, off man. his father. You know, for not saying Oh, uh, yeah, for penis. saying the, 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 that just had to have been something that he had to say. Maybe. Maybe. Because all this, all this information came out once he got Trial. locked up. yep. So you say anything and that shit. It's true. That's true. Especially these serial killers. If he's classified as a serial killer, it's pretty much he say sure anything is. to get the fuck out of there. November 2nd is one of the holiest days in the entire Catholic religion. All Souls Day also known as the Commemoration of All the Faithful Departed. Mm -hmm. In 1972, Mullen would add another to their numbers. Originally, Herbert stumbled drunk into St. Mary's Catholic Church, looking to ask the Lord for strength and power to never kill again. Within moments, he was stabbing the priest in his confessional booth with a hunting knife. Mullen assumed the church was empty when he walked in, and when he heard Father Tomei in one of the confession booths, he made a snap decision to kill. He tried to force the confession booth open, but all he would have had to do was knock. Upon hearing the racket, Father Tomei opened the door right up. Mullen lunged through the threshold, aiming for the heart. He kept stabbing the priest over and over, dragged his body halfway out of the booth to keep stabbing. Mm. At this time, another churchgoer walked in. All she saw was a young man in black on the priest, surrounded by more blood than she could have thought possible. The witness screamed and fled. The community, of course, was outraged by the senseless slaughter of this 65-year-old priest Mm. who had been instrumental in his native France during the resistance to the Nazi occupation. (laughs) So did this... uh, Actually, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. You put it together already. War hero. Yeah. Religion. (laughs) That kind of makes sense, especially his dad being a World War II. And a devout Catholic. So you combine the two, what do you have? War hero Tomei. There's going to be another kill that fits fucking perfectly, too. I'm very glad you caught it. I, can't, I couldn't be more happy. <laughs> I'm blown away. <laughs> <laughs> he might have something here, bro. All right. Police right off the bat assumed this had to be the work of a satanic cult for some reason. 
undercover cops attended the funeral Mm-mm. to try and lay eyes on the young man in black, hoping he was the type of sick fuck that would love to come see the outcome of his work. Mm. Of course, Mullen didn't show, but he did leave his fingerprints behind at the church. The murder of Father Tomei was the closest Herbert had come so far to striking the perceived source of his anger, Mm. his dad. According to psychologist Donald Lund, Herbert had developed a pattern named kill and make up. Now that Herbert had killed, he wanted to appease his father by following in his footsteps and joining the military. Later on in November, he applied for the Coast Guard, but was denied for obviously failing the psychological exam. This fed into his paranoia perfectly. This was obviously a conspiracy against him. The ones in cahoots and responsible for keeping him from the military were the hippies and the war objectors. They had plied him with drugs and forced him to become a hippie. The volume on the voices in Herb's head was all the way up. He needed to make a sacrifice, Mm. and he was going to direct his rage at the ones who ruined his life. Mm. Peace advocates and flower children. (laughs) And he never blames himself. Never, never, that's common. He set his sights on longtime acquaintance and drug user John Hooper. He set up a time to hang out and showed up strapped with his hunting knife. When he saw there were nine other people living in the house, he decided... I'm going to need a new killing method, Mm -hmm. and he went to the gun store. Unlike the Coast Guard, the clerk at the gun store didn't seem too bothered with Herbert's prior psychological (laughs) problems, and he walked out with a nice revolver. Like you said, that's the Reagan. That's Ronnie Reagan, Cowboy Ronnie Reagan. (laughs) (laughs) Let's do it. Oh, man. For some reason, though, even with his newly acquired way to kill more people faster and better... He didn't return to the house to slaughter hippies. He went to the Marine Corps recruiting office. You ain't gonna get far there. At first, the recruiting sergeant was hesitant to sign Herb. But after a bit of badgering, he ended up writing this recommendation. Herbert William Mullen is an intelligent and highly motivated young man with an ultra-zealous eagerness to join the USMC because of Herbert's desires to improve his lot in life and climb above his peers, I submit that Herbert will be a great asset to whatever unit he is assigned and the core as a whole. So that gun that he purchased, he must have had it to his head while he was... Because <laughs> everybody else sees this motherfucker's craziest shit, but you writing a stellar... Fu- you don't even know this dude. That could be... Because uh, the Marines at the time were, uh, they were kind of looking for psychos, I guess. Or at least that's the propaganda I've heard. Alright. This was music to Crazy Mullen's ears. <laughs> he finally had a purpose in life. On January 15th, 1973, Mullen passed both the physical and psychological evaluations hmm. for the Marine Corps. But refused to sign a document that simply acknowledged his arrest record. And thus was dismissed. He was crushed and denounced his parents as failures for raising him poorly. Mm -hmm. Mom and Pop had had enough of Herb's crazy rantings and ravings and Mm -hmm. told him on January 19th that effective immediately, he'd need to find somewhere else to live. Do you think they would have let him in even with the arrest record? Yeah. All he had to do was acknowledge it. That it was, that that was him and that he, that he knows that he was arrested. They didn't care. Oh, okay. All he had to do was acknowledge that he was arrested, that those were accurate, but he wouldn't do it. Hmm. I, I think, I'll tell you why, because yeah. he passed, the, it was like the last ditch to actually get out of what he was doing. Getting in the Marine Corps. Like, that's yeah, that an actual responsibility. That's actual stuff. Stupid motherfucker. Yeah, going to the Marine and shit, but he didn't. No. Because deep down, he didn't want to. He was terrified. Yeah. Like, who you say said the shit? A go-backer? Am, am I saying that right? Motherfucker, like, when he do something bad, did he... Oh, yeah. Try to do something to... That's also what they called minors that uh-huh. left after the gold boom in, in 1849. The San Francisco 49. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. They called them go-backers. The ones that went back home because they didn't strike it rich. <sighs> just kept going if you out there already. Fuck yeah, you're already out there. Mullen found a rundown loft near the beach where he sequestered himself, letting the resentment and bitterness fill him completely. The voices commanding him to kill were intensifying. One of his old high school friends, Jim Gianera, would become the target. 
He, in Herb's mind, was the most important peace advocate in the world. Even though he wasn't, he was just a hippie pot dealer that he bought pot off of. Gianera had ruined Herb's life as far as he was concerned. He'd given him drugs, taught Herb about the peace movement, and even telepathically tricked him out of buying land. <laughs> Mullen decided in his furious isolation that Jim certainly had to die. God. On January 25th, 1973, Mullen drove up to a kind of rundown residential area near a tourist trap that was named the Mystery Spot, up in the mountains near Santa Cruz. He pulled up to Jim's house and knocked on the door. The woman who answered was neither Jim nor his wife, but the home's new resident, Kathy Francis, who lived with her husband, Bob Francis, and two young sons, nine-year-old Damon and four-year-old David. When Mullen asked to speak with Jim, Kathy cheerily told him that Jim and his wife had moved to Western Avenue in town. Herbert thanked her for the help and was on his merry way. Mm. When Gianera opened his door to see his old high school buddy Herbert, he was more than happy to invite him in for a beer, maybe sell him a little pot, whatever he needed. Mm -hmm. No sooner had Herb crossed the threshold, however, he was shouting, You're clap-trapping me! and shot him as he tried to run. Wounded, Jim dragged himself up the stairs to where his wife was taking a bath. Mullen followed and shot them both in the head. Mm. With his hunting knife, he stabbed the Gianera couple an obscene amount of times. Their bodies would be discovered a few hours later by Jim's mother, who was babysitting her grandson. Mullins now had to do the only logical thing he could think of, drive back to Kathy Francis's house to kill her and her children. They were obvious witnesses, and Herbert was absolutely terrified of going to jail. He kicked in the cabin door, gun a-blazing. He killed Kathy with a shot to the chest and head each, and killed the boys as they played checkers in their bunk beds. Blacked out with rage, he also stabbed the body several times. To authorities, this was a clear-cut case of drug dealing gone wrong. Of course, that's where the police are going to go first. Both Bob Francis and Jim Gianera were known pot dealers. It didn't take long to find the recently childless and widowed Bob Francis grieving, and police asked him to come up with any suspects. Bob handed over a long list of drug dealers, rivals, ex-girlfriends, dirtbags, and other miscreants, but Herbert's name was nowhere on the list. Mm -hmm. In fact, last time Bob and Jim had hung out with Herbert was in the summer of 71. Herb did 10 hits of acid and went on a political and religious tirade when he came to buy some weed from them. In Henry Cowell State Park, the Card brothers were doing a little renegade camping. They built an illegal campsite out of plastic sheeting and 2x4s, far from the park ranger's usual beat. The spot they chose was called the Garden of Eden, but it was about to become anything but. Mullen discovered the illegal campsite while he was meandering drunk and crazy through the woods. The four boys, Brian Scott Card, David Olicker, Robert Spector, and Mark Dreibelbiss, invited the strange little guy in, but Herb wasn't having it. He demanded <laughs> the boys pick their shit up and get out. Right. They were defacing government property. This was stewing for a long while. Mm. Herb was recently hassled by a ranger for trying to do the same thing, and he didn't think it was fair that these kids were getting away with it. Hey, you got caught, they didn't. He's a salty, yeah. salty little bitch. Caught. You should have been like them. It came out when it was dark and lovely. This sounds like some Austin shit. Renegade camping. They do it. He can just go through caves and shit. Yeah. <laughs> this is something he would do. Renegade camping. Ask him just... if he ask him if he's ever been renegade right. camping before. He probably has, bro. Low key. Because you sit in all of them tunnels for more than an hour, bro. You gotta jerk off. I'm pretty sure it's, that could probably be on the weirdest place you beat off list. Yeah, it's called making ghost jellyfish. Mm -hmm. You when you're a renegade mm -hmm. tunnel camper. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just find a spot. And, and then people see it later and they go, yeah. a renegade ghost jellyfish. <laughs> renegade ghost. Hey, the semen not even wiped up. Why? Because it just, it goes into the, it's part of the lifestyle. Yes. Yeah. It's like, it's a river of souls. That's what they call it. <laughs> a river of souls. A river of unborn souls. And By they, renegade. They run all over the renegade tunnel camps. And I guess it, rene it, make, it makes a renegade because you use what, two by four, just regular plastic. Yeah, they're not supposed thing. to be there. They don't have a permit to be uh -huh. living out on the land, you okay, know what yeah. I mean? Which is ridiculous that you would need one because it's, it's, it's the land, but still. 
they should. I guess they should just have. Yeah, a, don't build two by fours. You know, well, just get, have a recording of you going onto the land. I'll tell you what. Go buy some property. Put a tent on your property. You're fine. You don't need to run a gig camp. Mm-hmm. I know that's not the point. They can't afford property. They're kids. <laughs> they're they're having fun out in the woods. You woods, drinking, smoking, whatever. The four boys looked at the frenzied man who was so angry and eager to uphold the law, and they laughed right in his face. Partly because they knew they could take him if it came to it, and mostly because this was fucking weird. Mullen later said, I decided to kill them, and telepathically, I asked them if I could. They all answered yes. They were in a sitting position, and it was all over in just a few seconds. The crime scene, discovered a week later by a brother of one of the victims... So they couldn't take him. ...showed that for at least one of them, the terror lasted a lot longer than a few seconds. Mm -hmm. One of the teens was gut-shot and spent a good deal of time trying to claw his way out of the side of the tent. Uh. They were trapped like fish in a barrel, and one by one, they were executed. Mullen grabbed their hunting rifle in $20 before making his escape. On February 12th, trap shooters found Mary Guilfoyle's remains. On February 13th, Mullen planned to bring some firewood to his parents, but received a telepathic message from his dad. Don't you deliver a single stick until you kill. The voice suggested that he kill his uncle Enos. Mm -hmm. But when Herb didn't want to kill his uncle, the voice wasn't as particular. Just kill someone. Mm -hmm. Mullen drove by Fred Perez as he was working on his driveway. He shot the retired prize fighter once in the heart, and Perez died instantly. Mullen sat in the boxer's driveway, clutching the rifle he'd stolen from the teenagers, then slowly backed out and drove away. This was Herbie's 13th victim, and unlike all the others, Herbert had no explanation as to why he shot him. The prosecution would later posit that this was a come-and-catch-me crime, and that Mullen was ready for this ride to be Mm. over. He had had enough of the killing, the running. So he just doing it just to get caught. He was ready to come in because he was not careful. Was he ever careful? Not really. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. But he did clean up witnesses and stuff. Another problem working against Mullen was this time he'd left a witness. A neighbor heard the shot and peered out of her window, catching a glimpse of the shooter's vehicle. Mullen was headed back home toward Felton with his station wagon loaded full of firewood and the rifle still in the front seat, concealed with a paper bag. A policeman pulled him over without backup and arrested Herb without incident. He didn't resist, but he also did not speak. Mm. At the cop shop, Mullen kept his silence. Even simple questions like, do you have a lawyer, or would you like your phone call, were met with Mullen screaming, Silence! Yeah, this dude. (laughs) At Mullen's sparse apartment, police found a Bible, a book about Einstein, Mm. and an address book with Gianera listed as well as newspaper clippings about the killings. The revolver and rifle were recovered from the station wagon. The doctor at the station performing the exam was shocked when his patient removed his shirt to show a legalized acid tattoo across his belly, right above a larger one that said Eagle Eyes Marijuana. (laughs) He had other yoga and Eastern philosophy tattoos as well. Pretty strange for someone that wanted to blow away a house full of hippies. Mm Mm-hmm. Mullen was initially charged with six counts of murder, which immediately rose to ten after the bodies of the renegade campers were discovered. Investigators sent out the call to other counties, asking if they have any open cases that match up with Mullen's M.O. Los Gatos authorities sent in the fingerprints found at the church where Father Tomei was stabbed Mm. to death, thinking this probably was the same guy. You guys remember Tomei? Marissa. Marissa! Marissa Tomei! But he stabbed that motherfucker. And I don't know. I feel like he got, got a little crazy because he just knocked on the door. Dude, he was trying to... He could have just knocked on the door is the oh, problem. He, just, he was trying to, like, punch it in. And yeah. all he would have had to do was knock and the priest would be like, Hello? Yeah. But instead, the priest did that anyway after he was trying to fucking barge in. Yeah, the guy got his back. If you die in a church, you're guaranteed heaven. Yeah. I never heard that one before. That's... Yeah. That's one of the sayings. You die in the church, you go straight up. Mm. Motherfucker hurt, get shot and hurt, but go to the church and shit. I gotta get to that Yeah, church. I gotta get to that church. I'm calling an ambulance so to take real, me to the, the church. church. <laughs> here, right here. <laughs> no, that's fine. I'll be fine. All right, we'll bill you. Man. And if you die, we'll bill your family. Damn, that's true, people. At his hearing on March 1st, Mullen carried in a two-volume legal book and startled the court by trying to plead guilty but the judge refused to accept a guilty plea in such a case of magnitude. 
Mullen so, replied, wait, he walked right into church with the book and said, or did he at least wait to get to the proceedings first? Or did he just no, walk he, in church and say, I'm, I'm, and by church, you mean court. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm fine. That's funny. Yeah, I'm still checking on church. I'm still the, stuck uh, in church. Yeah, he walked in, and as he was walking in, was saying, guilty, guilty. Oh, my God. Let's, yeah, you got to lock that dude up. The judge says, I won't accept that. Mullen replied, mm-hmm. you gave me a choice, and I chose. When his lawyer tried to intervene, Mullen said in his clipped manner of speech, I refuse counsel. He later insisted again on representing himself. When the judge refused to let Mullen represent himself, mm-hmm. Mullen said, pointing to his lawyer, James Jackson, I don't care to be represented by a long hair. The judge tried to assure Mullen of Jackson's competency, despite the fact that his bushy hair was a little over the collar. In that case, I plead guilty to ten counts of first-degree murder. Back to square one. Mullen was furious that he couldn't represent himself. The judge was quickly losing patience with Mullen, and the trial hadn't even started yet. He seriously doubted Mullen's competence to stand trial. D.A. Chang said, You can't just hand a guy a complaint and let him plead guilty to ten counts of first-degree murder. If we let him plead guilty, we would be thrown out on our ear by the Supreme Court. And that's fucking true. They would overturn that in in absolutely zero seconds. But what you you gonna do if a motherfucker just... You can't. They have to, like, defend themselves. They have to give some answers for, for these crimes. That's what it is. They want you to bend the knee. Like, no, Swear you fealty. Just, yeah, you're yeah. just not about to plead guilty. We go take you through. We go do this little ringer. Yeah, we go take you through. Get it. justice for the victims' yeah. families. Yeah. It makes sense. And uh, and uh, Herbert, I guess he like, dude, I don't want to be took through that shit, clown around. Psychiatrists were called in to examine Mullen. It was unanimous. Herbert William Mullen was a paranoid schizophrenic. Typically, schizophrenics, Greek for split and mind suffer Mm -hmm. from auditory hallucinations, fragmented thinking, and delusional belief systems of self-importance, including being psychic. (laughs) Despite rational evidence proving otherwise, a schizophrenic will be convinced that there is a grand conspiracy against them, so huge it can span from the FBI to UFOs. Mullen's extensive hospital records, along with his one-on-one examinations with doctors, convinced Mm -hmm. everyone that he was seriously mentally ill. Everyone agreed that Mullen killed at least 10 people. The trial would determine whether he was legally insane when he did it. Well, so they didn't think he did all of the 13 murders? No, no, no. They agreed that he killed at least 10. Uh-huh. This trial was to determine whether he was legally insane when he did it. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Legally speaking, insanity is determined by the McNaughton Standard, which says that if a defendant understood the difference between right and wrong, then the defendant was guilty. If a defendant makes an attempt to conceal the crime, this can be taken as evidence that the defendant knew it was wrong. Mm-hmm. If Mullen was found legally insane, then he would be considered not guilty. Mm. Therefore, any actions Mullen took to hide what he did would be closely mm. examined. Which he did. Also at issue was the notion of diminished capacity. If Mullen did not understand the meaning of his actions, he could not be found guilty of first-degree murder. His defense knew that diminished capacity was crucial to prove and constructed their case on Mullen's weird doctrines of dementia. I feel like he knew that too. Oh, for sure. Because <laughs> he was, he was, air quotations, getting told yeah, to go. Telepathically. Yeah, come on, bro. You know what you're doing. Hell yeah. Because you even saying it like, I don't know if I, even with his uncle, like, uh, yeah, it don't matter. Just kill. All right. Just kill him. It don't matter. We ain't got to kill the uncle. Which he didn't, right? He didn't kill the uncle. But no, he, he didn't somebody. kill Uncle Enos. I wonder what happened why he didn't kill the uncle. I wonder Probably, get... it was like, in his head, he was like, man, I want to kill Uncle Enos. And maybe his dad didn't like his brother too much or something. Yeah. So it was like, it would be a double win. Like, appeasing his father while also killing. I'm pretty you know sure his I mean? brother didn't. He wanted his brother to die. Though. I don't think. No, because his dad's <laughs> just a regular yeah. war hero. <laughs> like, he's just a, like, just a dude. You may hate somebody, but you don't want your family to this die. This paranoid man. schizophrenia is real. Like, it really... Our brains are so fucked up, man. Mm-hmm. One little difference is all it takes to uh, really turn that bucket of jelly yeah, up there un- bad unhinged. did you see the unhinged with uh russell crew i sure have really... oh really i didn't think it was all that though no i hated it it, it was holes like a motherfucker yeah. and that shit yeah i would have nipped that shit in the bud I, right there russell crow he 
He's 50% for me. Earlier, he was better than what he is now. I can say that. And maybe it's just the show, the movies he's chosen to. Because it's not him. I mean, it is him, though, sometimes. Because Unhinged was, it was just the holes that was in the movie. You know what, me. Russell Crowe, you're 80% for me. Because I love you, you in him. Gladiator. I love you in Les Mis, even though you're a fucking terrible, 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 terrible Javert. What the fuck is a Javert? It's the character he played. Oh, and that, okay. Loved him in Gladiator. Uh-huh. Loved him in American Gangster, which I already said, I'm sure. Because mm-hmm. uh, that's a great movie. Mm. And uh, I didn't love him in Virtuosity. Is that the name of the movie? <laughs> With Denzel? Yes. <laughs> that was no good. Ooh. And you know how I feel about Denzel. And like, if you don't know how I feel about Denzel, this podcast listening audience the, knows how I feel about yeah, Denzel. Yeah, because you like him because you say virtual. <laughs> I wrote a paper about how he was the most yeah. important figure in America in high school. Do you know Denzel didn't do a sequel until Vir- not Virtuosity 2, <laughs> um, Equalizer 2. Hmm. That was his first sequel. Before that, he had never appeared Did in a like sequel. Did you like the Equalizers? No. No. You know what I like? Man on Fire. I could watch that like every day. Okay. I love Creasy. Mm. Herb Mullen's trial began July 30th, 1973, with the now predictable disruptions and objections by the defendant. The formal plea had been entered as not guilty, and not guilty by reason of insanity. On the second day, the shackled Mullen interrupted the proceedings by hobbling over to the judge and handing him a spacey note entitled, Observations of an Observer from a Point on the San Francisco Peninsula, a two-page rant claiming that someone had been going through his personal notebooks. Make no mistake, Mr. Mullen hears voices, and the voices told him to kill, said defense attorney James. These were not acts of murder, but acts of sacrifice. Jackson focused on Mullen's bizarre behavior before the murder spree. Mullen thought he was a Mexican laborer, columnist Herb Cain, and an Eastern philosopher. Jackson then dramatically introduced his client's killjoy sadism conspiracy theory. Everyone in Mullen's life was out to destroy his chances for happiness, both in this life and the next. He had to kill them. The courtroom fixated their attention on the scowling, dark-haired Mullen as he rocked back and forth slowly in his chair. He showed little emotion through the course of the trial, staring straight ahead at the wall when witnesses testified. Mullen was annoyed that his defense was intent on proving insanity. He couldn't wait to get on the stand himself and tell them the truth about why he killed. The prosecution was brief. Bob Francis testified on Mullen's voracious consumption of LSD, specifically those 10 hits in 1971. (laughs) Weirdly, Mullen nodded his head in agreement as Francis talked, as if it proved the necessity to kill Gianera. Joan, Gianera's mother, recalled finding the young married couple shot to death in the bathroom. Ballistics experts and medical examiners portrayed for the jury the extent of Mullen's violent overkill, while Mullen hunched over, taking extensive notes. Yeah, that was overkill, because then they was already dead when he did that too, right? Yeah, when he kept stabbing the hell out of him. Yeah. Did Mullen come up with the killing to stop earthquakes theory before or after he was caught? Dr. Donald Lund said that Mullen devised this theory years earlier, Mm. citing Mullen's letters written to the UN and other organizations, requesting statistics on yearly death tolls and natural disasters. Could you imagine getting a letter from Herbert Mullen if you're like the UN? Hello, UN, it's Herbert (laughs) Mullen again. I need those statistics on killing to stop earthquakes. Because Mullen was born on April 18th, the anniversary of the 1906 San Francisco earthquake, he believed he had a privileged position among his generation to save it from future earthquakes. Einstein died on April 18th, which proved to Mullen that Einstein sacrificed himself so that Mullen would not have to be killed in Vietnam, but could save the coast from earthquakes instead. This shit didn't happen, though. Listen, Herschel, I know this is this tough, shit because it's like, even when I'm reading it, it it's almost like I, I wrote a Mad Lib here, because <laughs> none of this makes any logical sense. We can't, like, comprehend this whatsoever. Yeah, only he can. Herbert has the power to lack our knowledge. Just Herbie. As far as his victims go, Mullen said, I never thought about them. I wasn't thinking. I don't think. I was reacting. He claimed his victims consented to die. In fact, were willing to die, and told him to, by 
by psychic transmissions. Every homo sapien communicates by mental telepathy. It's just not accepted socially, he said. Mm -hmm. He blamed his father and asked that he be removed from the courtroom before he continued his testimony, but the judge refused. Yes, thank you. The elder Mullen was moved so that his son wouldn't have to look at him, though. He also blamed the Santa Cruz police for not keeping him incarcerated after he was arrested for drug possession. I never would have killed anyone if they sent me to jail. If they don't punish you for breaking the law, what are they doing? Waiting until I broke a bigger law so they could put me in prison my whole life? Yeah. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mullen admitted that he could and did disobey commands to kill. He had received telepathic commands to commit suicide, but refused. He said that he ignored messages to kill. I received a message in December I did not act on. I just didn't want to kill anymore. I just didn't think it was right. This last statement was crucial to the prosecution's case against Mullen. He was admitting he knew the difference between right and wrong. He was not his father's robot, powerless to disobey, as he had previously mm -hmm. said. In closing, the defense asked the jury to consider the fact that Mullen kills people because he has to, but he doesn't know why. Mm. I suggest that a person who kills 13 people and doesn't know why is mad. Yeah, of course the defense is going to try that one. The prosecution told the jury, there's no question he's mentally ill, seriously mentally ill, but that does not mean he's legally insane. He hid his crimes and even ground down the serial numbers on his gun. Mm -hmm. That's what somebody does when they don't want to get caught. Mm -hmm. The six-man, six-woman jury deliberated for over 14 hours, finding Mullen sane and guilty. The verdict was delivered on August 19, 1973. Mullen premeditated the deaths of Jim Gianera and Kathy Francis, thereby making two counts of first-degree murder. The rest were considered impulse by the jury, therefore second-degree murder. The defense attorney said, It's as insane as Mullen is. They were afraid because he might get out and kill somebody, which is not an illogical consideration. They didn't want his 14th victim to be one of them. The prosecution was disappointed with only two counts of first degree. Mullen only shrugged when he heard his verdict. He was sentenced to life in prison with possibility of parole in 2025. At his recent parole hearing in 2021... Mullen continued to blame others for the murders, including his parents, his sister, and other relatives. Although he admitted that he killed 13 people, he insisted that his parents forced him to do it, blaming it on their inappropriate upbringing. Mm -hmm. Mullen said he felt his parents and sister should be held responsible. The parole board responded this way. Mr. Mullen continues to blame others for his actions. He lacks insight and shows no true remorse for these brutal murders, to this day, Mr. Mullen continues to pose as high of a risk to the community as he did during his crime spree in 72 and 73 if he were released. The parole board agreed and extended Mullen's sentencing for an additional seven years. He will not be eligible again until 2028. He's not going to be released from jail. No, and he's very old now. You know, he's an old man now. So mm -hmm. hopefully he'll die soon because mm -hmm. he's a fuck. And if he gets out, he'll start He'll start robot killing again. It's his fault that there's still earthquakes, according to him. Yeah. Because he never killed And according himself. to me. You should have killed yourself, man. Maybe you wouldn't have fucking We wouldn't have any earthquakes. It would be the you earthquake. You fucking babe. Well, Herschel, what do you think of your namesake? Look, this guy put himself in his own jail yeah. before jail. His mental jail. Yeah, yep. So he was domed. Um... He did know, like you said, when you start covering the shit up, firing guns and shit, that's that's it. Yeah, you know exactly what, what you're, you're doing. doing. Yep, yep. Because you could blame it on insanity, but it's too much. It's too much there. Yeah, there's too much forethought into mm -hmm. not getting caught, or what happens if he did get caught. Mm -hmm. Blah blah blah. And killing witnesses—that's always going to show premeditation. Yep. Cleaning up your trail yep. behind you is always going to show premeditation. I'll tell you what, Ed Kemper, who is the logo of this podcast, mm -hmm. I would say, they shared a, that's him, they shared a, uh, they were right next to each other, and Ed used to do little psychological training. Herb used to sing incessantly, annoyingly, mm -hmm. it was terrible, and uh, uh, Ed would yell at him, and then when Herb was being quiet and being a good boy, he'd give him a peanut, because Herb liked peanuts, so he basically 
behavior corrected him in jail to not be an annoying fuck using treats and peanuts and stuff. Well, he was just getting a camper. I would be too. That man's a giant. Yeah. And he used to cut people's heads off. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Ed Camper probably said I killed this dude. Ed Camper's an asshole. They're all assholes, mm-hmm. Herschel. That's what it comes down to. None of them are good. They're all fucking broken. And they're all broken in very similar ways. Mm-hmm. They're basic. They're so basic, but they all think they're so fucking special. None of them are special. They're just idiots. That motherfucker smooth talk himself about a lot of shit, though, man. He did. Especially when he was like calling the police and they didn't even believe him because mm, he used to hang out with him. Yeah, he's like, oh, that's just big Ed. That's crazy. Yeah. He's like, no, I, I cut my mom's head off and tried to flush her fucking <laughs> vocal <laughs> cords you're, down you're, the garbage disposal. You're a riot, Ed. We'll see you down the yeah. bar later. <laughs> <laughs> I need you to tell a story to the guys. Yeah, that's going to be great. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck. And they just looking like that emoji code ghost when they was like, oh, that shit happened for real? Yeah, the 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 blue face yeah. one, yeah. Ooh. I don't like that one. Scary. Well, boys, that's going to do it for the Bumblebutt Podcast X Triumphant Return. Thank you very much for your patience. Uh the people that can do without us the least are the ones <laughs> that I hate to disappoint the most. Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh we've gotten a lot of great comments just from the posts I put up there. So, mm-hmm. the, there's a lot of stands out there, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't think they'd mind if I called him a stan. No, I don't think they care. Uh, well, from all of us here at Bumblebutt Podcast yes, X, 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 we will see you next week. A-bomb. My name has been A-Bomb. That's H-bomb. been H-Bomb. And uh, we're going to go... Get renegade jerks. We're going to go renegade jerk each other off in the woods. That's <laughs> <laughs> just what we call it when we give each other hand jobs uh, by a two-by-four out in the forest. <laughs> All right, fellas. Thank you very much for listening. We'll see you next time. Have a nice weekend on this Tuesday. Bye.